Welcome to the Juggling Without Balls podcast. My name is Monica Parkin and I am your host. And every week on the show, I'm going to be talking to powerful, successful women who juggle it all. And when I say juggle it all, I mean everything. Kids, health, aged parents, careers, relationships, you name it, we're going to talk about it. So stick around, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a seat and enjoy the show. Hello, jugglers, and welcome to another episode in Season 2. My guest today is Christina Rosema. Christina has worked in the healthcare field for over 20 years. For the past eight years, she was the site director for the Campbell River Hospital. And she's now moved on to start her own company called New Wellness Perspective, which is a coaching company for healthcare professionals. In July 2020, she had a stress-induced heart attack at work. This changed everything, and she's since committed to her personal recovery and learning what brought her to that place. That's some of what she's going to be talking about today. Looking forward to a great conversation. Welcome, Christina. Okay, welcome, Christina. It's nice to have you here today. Thanks for asking me to come. I'm so excited about today. Yeah, I actually got the treat of hearing Christina a couple of weeks ago. I'm organized as speakers for our Women's Business Network, and Christina spoke for us there, and it was phenomenal. So I already got a little taste of what's to come, and I'm really looking forward to it. But uh, I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about your background, like your career, your work background. I know you're very involved with the, both the new hospitals. Yeah, so for like the last 20 years, I've been in a variety of healthcare leadership roles from, I was at one point an executive director of a nonprofit mental health organization in three communities. And then I joined the local health authority and ultimately ended up here in my community now as the director for the hospital, which was the operational director of the hospital, which meant that I worked to bring many diverse groups of people working in the building together to work as a team. And my husband and I actually moved up to Campbell River, where we live now, for this job. And the crux of the job really was to prepare the hospital to build and move into a new hospital. So my work was really around getting the teams in the hospital prepared to do this massive shift from an old 1950s hospital to like, and just how do we prepare for that? Right. Yeah. And for those of you who are listening from outside the Comox Valley, we had two very old, old hospitals in, in both Courtney and Campbell River, and they got upgraded to new ones. But that's mm-hmm. what, what we're talking about is that upgrade to a brand new place. Mm-hmm. And that uh, the, it wasn't even just the physical space that was so different. It was just the complete change of how you approached your work because of new technology, because of layout, because spread out you know, the the new hospitals both were significantly bigger square footage than the old one. So it just changed everything about your day. It even changed teams that had worked together for years. Those blew apart and reformed differently in the new buildings based on people's choices going forward. So fundamentally, everything changed about us from moving from the smaller, older hospitals into the new ones. Yeah, so you're not just dealing with that layout and the building and the logistics of that. It's actually the whole mindset of the people and that transition because we all know change is hard, right? There's always that, well, that's not the way we used to do things and our brain just doesn't want, even if we want to embrace change, it's hard, right? It's really hard. So I can imagine that's, 
It's not just you changing, but you're helping people adapt through this massive, massive change. Exactly. And I mean, it's even as fundamental as like when you move into a new house and you know where something was in the old place and for the life of you, you can't find it in the new place. And when you're doing that on the scale of a hospital, that's a pretty big anxiety provoking episode when you can't find something that you need. I have a funny story about that. You and I both know each other from Van Nuys Veterinary Hospital. That's where I have one of my other businesses and, and I've met you there in the past. But yep. when the original owner, Bruce Renoy, opened the hospital and, and same thing, this brand new square. Anyways, with the first moved in, they just threw everything in drawers wherever. And then one day he got this great idea. I'm going to organize it for everybody. I'm going to make it perfect. I'm going to put this drawer here because this makes sense here and this here. And he stayed up all night, worked all night doing it. Staff got to work in the morning. They were so mad. Like, I don't think anyone spoke to him for like two days. They were like, why did you move this and move this? And they moved it all back. And exactly. It's so hard. It is because you get these patterns. You do things repeatedly and you get patterns. You get patterns of behavior. You know how to organize your day based on those patterns. You have those beliefs that have built up around those things because you've just practiced them so much. And then you walk into something that blows it apart and you are really just lost. Yeah, you're just I, lost, and and then you get scared. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I've been stop thinking. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, and then you just want to push back and have a little yep. temper tantrum, like a metaphorical temper tantrum. But that's what I do. But yeah. you know, we're in Courtney. We've got this new bridge thing going on. It's been going on for like four months, where they're painting yep. our bridge, and so you can only drive through it from one direction. But do you think four months later that I know that? Like every mm-hmm. single time, I go to and I'm like, oh, I can't go that way. I can't go that way. And now that it's finally open. I've actually finally taught my brain to go the other way. And my kids are like, you can take the bridge now. And I'm "Ah." no, and it's the most fundamentally frustrating thing ever because you just, you just want something to be predictable and it's not. And how you respond to that lack of predictability runs the gamut of emotions. Some people laugh it off. Some people get really upset. Some people close down completely emotionally. Some people get angry. We worked really hard to prepare people and it's what it would never have been enough because the change was so monumental. Yeah. And they got to build a whole new neural pathways. And, And we'd have people getting lost in the building. They couldn't remember how to get back to where they came from we could actually do a whole new show. Like we could do an entire other show on this topic, but I remember going for a little surgical procedure at the new hospital yeah. and I was super nervous. So I took a couple out of van ahead of time. Like my doctor said, yeah. go ahead, take some out of van. I don't like IVs. I don't like needles. And I'm like trying to just find where to check in. And I'm wandering up and down hallways and going up and down elevators. I'm like, it took me like 20 minutes. Finally, a nurse actually physically took me, like led me. She says, I'm like, can you just take me there? Like not left here. Like, she's like, just follow the yellow line. I'm like, no, like, please just like, just take me there. And I finally yeah. got there, but I just felt like I was walking around this corn maze that, you know, like I just, I couldn't get it. Yeah. So. And that's how staff felt every single day, literally for like six months yeah. while they, while they got comfortable with the new building and the difference, there was a, probably don't need to get into it, but there's a difference between Courtney where you physically moved off the site and Campbell river. We just moved across the parking lot. So you could still, you could still see the old one. So people could pine, pine and romanticize the old way. Even though we knew it was horrible because the building was falling down and rotting and it was terrible flooded four times the last year we lived in it. But 
because it was still there, you're like, oh, remember how easy it was over there? <laughs> yeah. It's almost like, you know, you leave a bad relationship, but a year later you're like, oh, but you know, it wasn't that bad. You know, it was <laughs> you romanticize it because it's what you knew. It's, yeah. it was, and, and how all this works into where I am today is that those months mm-hmm. were just months where everybody just kind of came to work and did more and more that they, you know, like did so much. Cause we knew that it, we knew that this was coming and we just knew it would be a lot of work. And we also knew we'd get used to it. And so we just put our heads down and we just pushed. We just pushed every day. We pushed through. Some of us worked nights. Some of us rotated our shifts. People were there all the time to help the staff because the staff were the patient, were giving patient care. And of course, hospitals are always full. So we had lots of patients. And so you just, you just put your head down and you just went through. And that's what healthcare people really do. You go there because you want to help people. Fundamentally, that's what you want. And so what happens is we don't take care of ourselves. And in, a, in the short term, if it's a short term thing, you know, you might get away with it. But then a year and a half after we kind of get set, like the two years we're in there, we're finally settled. And then the pandemic. And there's no kind of time frame around the pandemic when it comes and nobody like people have moved hospitals before we had consultants come in that had moved hospitals all over the world. Nobody alive had been through the a pandemic like this before. Yeah. So we're all on uncharted territory. We have no time frame, And the only skill we have that we know about to get through this is to push. Yeah. Work harder, right. work harder, work harder, work harder, yeah. work harder, work longer, just different shifts, work harder. Yeah. So and that's where the problem is. Yeah. So that kind of sets the stage here. So now what I'd like to just jump ahead a little bit and talk about, you started to have some just little tiny minor symptoms that most of us would dismiss. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah. So in July of 2020, as, as the kind of first wave of the pandemic just eased a little bit, I, I got a pinched nerve feeling in my neck and I'd had a pinched nerve before. And that's what it felt like. This is the only thing I had. It was just this achy pinched nerve right in the base of my neck. And I had continued my regular life. I was walking my dogs. I was going to work. I was sleeping. I wasn't sleeping well because of the pandemic and my stress levels were super, super high, but this wasn't anything unusual, this pain in my neck. Felt normal. As normal goes, like a variation of normal, but it didn't, it was nothing alarming for you. There was nothing alarming. And and you got to understand, I grew up with a mom for a nurse. My daughter is a nurse. I'm surrounded by healthcare people all day. I know all the signs and symptoms. Nothing was a flag for this, nothing. And on the fourth day, it just really hurt. And I hadn't slept well. And I did the morning meeting and I went to the emergency department to get a shot because this pinched nerve was not going away. And the doctor, you know, he did an ECG and he took my blood pressure and we talked a lot. And he, you know, he said, you know, it's probably a muscle spasm and here's some exercises and here's, here's a prescription to go to this physio I know, and just let me take a blood test and off you go. So I took yeah, he took the blood and I went back to work <laughs> and he calls me half an hour later. And he says to me, where are you? I'm like, well, I'm in my office. He says, could you have someone bring you back, please? 
I'm like, what do you mean? Bring me back. I'll just come. He said, no, no, no. Have someone bring you and don't take the stairs. Yeah. So at that moment, when he's like, have someone bring you, don't take the stairs. Like what's going through your mind? I'm thinking, well, that's very weird. Why? Why? That's very weird. And I knew something is not right there because, you know, he, they don't, they don't ask you to come back (laughs) unless there's something wrong. And so I just thought, well, this is very weird. And I get back there and they put me in the section of the emergency department designated for cardiac monitoring. And I knew then something was really wrong. And yet the painkiller had started to work and I had zero pain at this point. So I have these two weird things happening. I have no pain now and I'm in the cardiac unit. And he comes back and he says to me, you are actually having a heart attack. And I'm like, are you kidding? No, no, you're having a heart attack because there's just one protein that your heart um, puts out if it's suffering damage called troponin and it should be zero. And mine was over 700 and that was nothing compared to what it ended up being. Wow. So first of all, how lucky are you that, that he did that blood work and how likely is it? Like how common is that for someone to go with a sore neck and get some blood work done? Like, did you kind of win the lottery in terms of getting the right doctor that day? Or is that something they would normally do? Well, in talking to emergency room physicians afterwards, because I've talked to a few talking them, telling them about my story, women present extremely differently than men when they're having a heart attack. So it's not completely uncommon, but it was, it wasn't the first thing on his mind after he'd taken my ECG, which was normal and my blood pressure, which wasn't super high, right? But women present very differently sometimes for heart attacks. And so most of the emergency room physicians are very aware of that and try to be extra thorough with women and pain, especially in their upper body. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it, then- wasn't, it wasn't lucky, but I'm just very grateful that he's thorough and it wasn't a really super busy day. And, you know, yeah, because yeah, this- I didn't, I didn't appear to be having a heart attack. You didn't fit, at least maybe, maybe in his mind, you might've hit some of the parameters, but in, in my mind or your mind, uh, you know, you wouldn't have walked in there thinking, Hey, I might be having a heart attack. You should, and especially after you do an EKG and they check your blood pressure and all that other stuff's normal. That's, that's like the last thing you're thinking about. Exactly. Well, even after they admitted me, the doctor who was attending, once I had been admitted into the telemetry unit, which is a kind of cardiac monitoring unit, the doc that was attending for me, I said to her, could you just make sure that the lab hasn't screwed up on my test results? And she just looked at me and she said, no, honey, you're having a heart attack. Trust me. Right. And my numbers kept going up during the day. So we knew that even though it was a very weird presentation, it was actually a heart attack. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So then what next? Like, do you... Then I was transferred to Victoria because that's where our cardiac surgery unit is for our health authority. And I had angioplasty and two stents uh, inserted. So I had two vessels in my heart that had become blocked and that was what was causing my heart attack. So they put these lovely little stents in and opened those passages up again. And that was the end of my heart attack. Yeah. And then let me just, just recap this. So like you had no other than work stress, you know, you didn't have you know, pre-existing conditions, like you're not diabetic, you have a normal, healthy lifestyle, you, you exercise, you do all those things to take care of yourself, right? Yeah. So I have no family history of issues. I had had long-term high blood pressure, 
but that was was completely controlled. And I had repeated doctor's appointments, like yearly doctor's appointments to make sure that all of the things that could contribute to a heart attack were managed. Even my cholesterol was not, was not high. It was not, it was not in the range where a family physician would have recommended uh, management of it. So literally I had nothing that would explain this heart attack except for the massive amount of stress that I was under and for how long I was under it. Yeah. Yeah. That constant repetitive, uh, unending stress really has, has clearly had an effect on your body that, I mean, we're just starting to understand the effect of stress on the body, but that's a, that's a classic example. And I assume that your cardiologist uh, agrees with that, right? Absolutely. That both of my physicians, specialist physicians told me that it was stress related. This was a hundred percent stress induced heart attack. Yeah. So you come home, you recover, you probably make some more lifestyle changes, you know, everything's going along good. And then end of last year. Yeah. Had another one. Yeah. I had, I had done everything. I had done all of the, all of the medications and lifestyle changes recommended by Western medicine, including meditation and more exercise and really focusing on diet. And then last November, while out walking my dog, I had a classic heart attack. So, so I had different. chest pain. Yeah, it was different. It was chest pain, the, the pain down the arm, the shortness of breath, the sweating. So I, I knew really early what was happening. And my husband got me to the hospital very quickly. And when, when they're very clear on what's happening to you, they give you this clot busting medication. And they know this, this is a very well um, researched and well understood drug. 50% of the people who have a cardiac arrest. Okay. Oh, I'm going to get you just to back up for one second sure. and talk about what those classic symptoms were, just so everyone's really clear. Because it seems to me, I remember you talking about some numbness mm. in your extremities, right? And I think yeah. that's a really important thing for people to be aware of. If we just back up for one second and just walk me through that that dog walk and, and yeah. those symptoms. So while, while I was out on my dog walk, I was talking to my sister on the on my phone and we were going up a hill quite a steep hill. And I probably wasn't paying much attention to how fast I was going because I was talking and we were having a good chat. And by the time I got to the top of the hill, I was quite short of breath, like more short of breath than I would normally have been. But because it's just shortness of breath, I thought, oh, I walked up too fast. But as I kept going, that got worse. The shortness of breath got worse. And what started to happen is I started to have tingling in my fingers and my fingers weren't actually working very well. And so then I started to sweat and I thought, this is not good. Something is really wrong because now my shortness of breath is quite pronounced. And I found a, there was a travel, like a utility trailer sitting on the side of the road. So I sat down on the wheel well and I texted my husband to come and get me. And luckily he can read gibberish because when I looked at it later, it was really hard to read because my fingers weren't working properly. I couldn't, I couldn't text him very clearly, but he, he, figured it out and came and got me and the yeah, dog. Yeah. And that's interesting because I've never thought of that as a heart attack symptom. I think of chest pain. I think of sweating, nausea, all those things. Yeah. That one symptom really stuck out to me as something that, and the neck pain that, that I just never would have crossed my mind. I would have just thought, oh, I've just, you know, been holding my hands down too long. All the, you know, the blood flow has gone. Right. Yeah. 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 So it, it was a, it was a very pronounced heart attack. Like it told, it told itself, it told me it was coming. 
You knew and it. it was, it was quite, like I said, it's kind of the classic symptoms, the, the shortness of breath, the sweating, but yeah, those, the numbing of the fingers, I didn't expect that either. And that just showed me, you know, later in, in kind of thinking about it, things you need to think about going forward, you know, in terms of now I, on my iPhone, I can press and hold a button instead of, and it will call him instead of having to text him. Well, like having an emergency plan set up, you yes. have that in place on your phone, which is a brilliant idea. If, yes. if you know that you're at risk for, for really anything that requires an immediate call. Because texting, while great, doesn't, isn't that great when you can't move your fingers properly. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, you know, there's, there's things that you come away with after an event like that, you kind of do a personal debrief. And that was one of them. You know, now I've had two heart attacks. So I'm more prepared in the event that I might have another, even though the chance of that is really minimal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's go back to that emergency room. So you're back in the emerge. They're going to give you this clot busting drug. Yep. And, you know, they have to talk you through what the risks are and you accept those risks and they give me the clot buster and my heart stops. And for four minutes, they perform CPR. But they were ready. Everybody was around the end of the bed. So the doctors, the nurses, everybody was ready because this is a known side effect. It's like opening a dam. You have a block, you open the dam, the water flooding through kind of just shakes everything up in your heart stops. Okay. And so... Four minutes of CPR and then I'm back. I noticed nothing. Wow. You just had a little nap. Like you just. It didn't even feel like that. It was just like I blinked and I'm awake again. And they're talking about somebody doing compressions. And I'm thinking, well, who did they do compressions on? And then I realized that, oh, I'm a little sore. Okay. But no broken ribs or anything. No just... broken ribs. No. Wow. How lucky. No. Yeah. They, I mean, this is, the, this is the theme of my entire last yeah. two years. How damn lucky am yeah. I? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they get me all stabilized there. And this time I get to fly to Victoria because <laughs> they've given me the clot buster. So they fly me to Victoria and I get one more stent in another, in a different vessel. In a different so place. was that a vessel that was previously more clear? So they didn't stent it and, and now it had become more blocked. Okay. Yes. Okay. And they have no idea why it, why it blocked at that time, because you know, in that whole year that I'm healing the first two, I'm on blood thinners and clot busting medication and all kinds of things to prevent this. So there's not really any clear reason why I would have this again. And one of them told me it was just, you know, bad luck <laughs> and that sometimes this happens and sometimes it doesn't. So, you know, the, the work for the second one was much, much more around my mindset because the entire drive home, all I could think about is, well, I can't go and do, I can't go out on my own. I can't walk in the bush by myself. You know, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do this. And one of the, one of my docs up here said to me, you got to ride your horse. Like you stole it. There's no, there's no reason why this happened. There's no, there's no thought that it could happen again. So you can't let it take over your life. And that's what I really decided. I decided yeah. that I wasn't going to sit at home and wait to die. <laughs> but that's a real thing. Like I know people that have changed their whole lifestyle. Like they used to go hunting or camping or whatever. And they're like, no, I don't want to be out in the middle of nowhere if this happens. Yep. Like I can only do this and I have to do this. And so you had to make a decision in your mind. I'm going to yep. just live my life and I'm going to do the very best I can to take the yep. very best precautions I can, but I'm not going to stop, you know, doing what I enjoy. Exactly. Because that's, you're dead then. You might yep. as well be dead. 
and I got two chances to not be dead. And so I'm not going to live like I'm now dead. I'm going to live like I'm alive. I'm going to enjoy every minute of it. I said to a couple people, death wants me. Death's going to have to find me. Right. Because, because I don't see any point in giving up, especially when you've been given the gift of not dying. And an opportunity to share that message with other people now, right? Like the gift is that you now get to give other people a heads up. So they're not like you going, I've just got neck pain. And so maybe this is, maybe this is a good spot for us to talk about that. But, you know, what do you want women to know that you wish you knew before yeah. all these happen, would you change something? What's your message now? And and also, I know you. We're going to talk about this. You've sort of formed a business about helping healthcare workers, and we'll talk about that too. But mm-hmm. where do you go now? Where do you go from here? Well, my big message to women is: don't feel like you're bothering people if you're not feeling well. You know, the research is really clear. When women actually get diagnosed as having a heart attack, they've been having it for a while, and they're more likely to have heart damage because they waited. And a lot of it is that they've waited because they don't want to bother somebody and they don't, you know, they don't want to go and then have someone say, oh, it's just indigestion. And then they feel bad or embarrassed. Don't feel bad or embarrassed because if it's not indigestion and if it is a heart attack, getting help earlier on means that the life that you have on the other side is so much healthier because you don't have the heart damage. And is it a little bit like I know with, I just went to a women's reproductive, like a menopause talk, a women's reproductive talk. There's a lot more studies. There's a lot more research done on men than there mm-hmm. is on women. Is that the same with cardiac issues in women? Do you think that that research isn't like, I'm things are starting to balance out, but do you think that we just know more about male heart attacks than we do about women's or that women just don't know enough themselves? And, and I think it's both. For so long, everyone thinks a heart attack is that Hollywood image of someone clutching their chest and falling to the ground. And in reality, it's way more subtle than that. And for women, it's even more subtle because not only do we have different symptoms often, but we have all this cultural conditioning that we shouldn't be pushy and we shouldn't demand things. and We shouldn't be asking for things that we don't need. And so we internalize all of that. And minimize it when we go to the doctor. Yeah. And maybe there's that fear of being told, oh, it's just in your head or you're just imagining yeah. it, right? And, and you don't want to be embarrassed, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the hardest part is to be your own advocate, especially when you're not feeling well. And just saying, I know there's something wrong. And I tried, I tried what you said the first time. It's not helping. I know there's something wrong. And just keeping going like that, it is very difficult for women. Yeah. Yeah. To just be yeah. that. Like, we're so good at being that voice for our kids and our spouses, even our exactly. pets, right? Like, I know if something's off with my dog and my veterinarian will be like, hey, if you say something's wrong, something's wrong. Like, you you know your dog. But, you know, we're all a lot more hesitant to go to our doctor and say, I know something's wrong. For whatever reason, we're willing to advocate for others, but less so for I think you're right. There's a long history of not research into women's issues. So women's issues being written off as it's in your head. Yeah. Right. It's not real, but let me tell you, even if it's in your head, it's real. (laughs) And so trying to develop that relationship with a physician is a really good idea for women that kind of trusting, like the relationship you just said with the, with the vet. And, you know, if you say something's wrong, I think something's wrong and having those conversations early on about yourself personally 
but it, you know, a lot of women don't go to the doctor regularly because they're there all the time with their kids or whatever. And we've got the shortage of healthcare right now, like and we have shortage yeah. of physicians. So if yeah. you don't have a physician and you're going to a different walk-in clinic every time yeah. you go in, you know, that's a whole nother conversation and a whole nother problem. But yeah. that doctor doesn't get to know you and, and, and go, yeah, you know what? She actually doesn't complain often. And now she is, I need to listen exactly. because they've never met you before. They don't yeah. really know what's normal for you. This is, this is where being your own advocate becomes even more important, mm. right? So if you, even if you have copies of your lab tests to show that something might be, nor, might be abnormal for you, but not abnormal in quotation marks in the broader scheme of things, but something has changed for you, that's very helpful. And just, just, being, just being really clear on what you're feeling in terms of your body, like, when I when I think about my first heart attack with the pinched nerve in my neck, that's all I could think about because it's the only thing that I had had experience with. I'd known what it was for. But what happened was I didn't listen to my body when the things that I did for the real pinched nerve weren't working for this one. Right. Because your brain was making this connection. I've had this yeah. pain before. This is all it is. Instead yeah. of going, well, this didn't work. This didn't work. This didn't work. You didn't make that leap because you're focused. Like we often are like, oh, I've had this before. It's just blah, blah, blah. Exactly. You tell yourself a story and then, you know, you're fed back all the evidence that your story is correct. Instead of saying, well, but I took this pill the last time and it helped and it's not helping this time. I wonder if something else is going on. And yeah. that's what I didn't do. Yeah. Yeah. I remember actually three or four years ago, this is an interesting story, but I had had a different surgery and they had actually left a little piece of plastic behind. Nobody knew. They kept saying, you're fine. You're fine. And it just, I kept, every time I swallowed, I had this pain in my shoulder. Every time I swallowed, I had this pain in the shoulder. It went on for months and months. And I finally said, you know what? I know you're telling me everything's fine, but like, I need an MRI. I need something because something's not right. And the next day they phone me and they're like, yeah, actually there's a piece of plastic in there. Sorry about that. You know, and it was just like a human error happens. It's not like, there's not even any blame on anyone, but I had to literally go back and say, look, something's not right. But it goes to show you how assertive you need to be and how you need to get comfortable with being assertive around your health because you are the expert in your body and the doctor is your consultant to help you with that. So being assertive, um, is hard for a lot of women. Yeah. We're not really taught that assertive in females is a great trait, at least my generation and older. I think it's changing. I think women, younger women are getting much more assertive. Yeah. And to be clear, being assertive doesn't mean being a jerk either, right? No. It doesn't mean no. having an attitude. It just <clears throat> means no. saying, you know what, actually, I need to dig deeper or because yeah. something's not right. And I'm actually not going to leave until we decide on what the next step is going to be. It doesn't you know, mean that you're yelling and freaking out. And sometimes I think people confuse assertiveness with, with aggression and aggression. So it's whole, it's holding just, your own space, right? Yeah. And saying, look, you need to listen to me because I know my body. I know something is not right and we need to have a look at it. Yeah. I would like you to help me do that. And, and your doctor wants to be on your side. They want to be on your team. That's, that's their end goal too, is to make sure you're healthy. And it's just having those conversations. So now you've sort of taken this experience and you've created sort of a new business out of it. Do you want to talk about that for a minute before we start to wrap up? Well, when I, when I really learned that this is entirely stress-induced, I was just, I was blown away because I really didn't acknowledge a how much stress I was under and b how much damage that much stress can do to you. And so 
when I was originally off and I'm sitting at home and I'm really kind of pondering this and thinking through it, I look up and I look at my colleagues and I realize, oh my God, you're all working the same way as I am, because this is a very valuable trait in healthcare, this ability to just dig in and dig down and work hard. And I started to feel like the ghost of Christmas future, right? Like here I am, this is what's going to happen to people if things don't change for you. And so I started a business that starts to talk to healthcare leaders about this. I consider leadership as a, as a trait and not as a job description. So there's lots and lots of leaders in healthcare. And I love that. It's a trait, not a job description. And it's yeah, so true. Yeah. It is. And so I started, I started a company and I, I have a boot camp about healing boot camp burnout. And then I have a program, a longer program that talks about getting to the point where you prioritize yourself and your life. And that is your improvement in your leadership. That's your leadership development piece is you living that life that provides rest and relaxation and time away so that you have that mental, mental break from the intensity that's healthcare. And that allows you to come back to your job revitalized. Yeah. And then your job when you get back there is to model that behavior for other people who are there because everybody's in that same boat. We're really not taught a lot that looking after yourself is the best possible leadership training you can take because everybody sees you doing that. You make decisions better. You work more efficiently and you are significantly more optimistic. One of the biggest signs for me looking back was how cynical I had become. And that should have been a flag for me because I am normally a super optimistic person. And that cynicism was way before my heart attack. And, and I didn't those, listen to it. Yeah, and both those things are contagious, right? Cynicism is contagious. It's like this cancer that just gets into your workplace, but so is yeah. optimism. So if you can show up at work and model optimism and joy and you know feeling restored and, and showing up with purpose because you've had that downtime, because you have balance, then you show other people what's possible, right? Exactly. You make better decisions. You're nicer to be around. People want to work for you or work with you. It's just, there's so many benefits. And I think that actually, it's not even your work. It extends to your personal relationship, oh, every, like to every oh, yeah. part of your life. It yeah. it touches, right? When you really live a centered, balanced life. Absolutely. And, and you have that, that joy and peace in your life. Yeah. Question I ask everyone, and then we're going to go back to where people can find you. But, you know, it's the, the time machine question. If you could go back and talk to 10-year-old Christina, you know, what would mm. be your advice to her? I would tell her to trust her feelings more than the opinions of others. Trust yourself. Those feelings that we kind of denigrate now, don't be so emotional, all of that kind of language, I, I believe that's absolutely the wrong advice to give to someone. I think you trust your feelings because that's your body responding to something that it can't verbalize. And so you have a feeling around it. And if you trust that over the opinions of others, I think that you will be much farther ahead. You won't feel like you need to control things that you can't control. Because you're managing yourself just fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, yep. that spidey sense, right? Don't ignore it. Yep. It's, it's telling Absolutely. you it's there for a reason. It's telling you something wonderful. It's, this has just been a great conversation. But how can listeners find you? Well, I'm going to put all this stuff in the show notes too, but feel free to tell me about what you're doing and where people can find you. Okay. Well, my company is called New Wellness Perspective and it's just newwellnessperspective.com. Uh, 
was for the webpage. I'm on Facebook. I've got a Facebook page and I'm on personally on Facebook. So you can reach me there as well. I do have my programs. One is healing burnout in healthcare leaders. And the other one is balanced life, balanced leader. So they're all out there in the uh, internet world. Wonderful. I love that balanced life, balanced leader. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Well, it's been a delight talking to you today and all that stuff will be in the show notes. Uh, Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. It's been great. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us on the show. Just wanted to let you all know that I have a book out this year. It's called Overcoming Awkward, The Introvert's Guide to Networking, Marketing and Sales. You can find it on Amazon paperback, Kindle, and on Audible as an audiobook version. See you all soon. Have a great week, Douglas.